Hello and welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Mark Alardi, the founder of VIP Betting Services. Mark, thank you very much for coming on. The Business of Betting podcast is proudly brought to you by the Betfair Hub from Betfair Australia. No matter where you are in the world, if you want expert articles from pro punters, from building automated models to betting psychology, check out the Betfair Hub. Betfair.com.au slash hub. Gamble responsibly. Today, I'm joined by Mark Alardi, the founder of VIP Betting Services. Mark, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Jack. It's always good to start in the beginning. Tell us tell us your background. What was growing up like? How did it ultimately end up in the, the wagering and racing world? Uh, Jake, I suppose I'm like any other normal Aussie kid. I mean, I'm, I, you know, it was a betting landscape. Um, I think Australians probably in general love a punt. We're one of those type of nations. Um, I actually read an article many years ago that said we, per capita we're one of the highest um, gambling nations in, in the world or the or most uh, prevalent gambling nations in the world. Um, and I, look, I just grew up and had a bet. I think my father was a bit of a punter. My brother and I would, would, would have a bet. We'd go to the, the trots with my dad when we were young and still in our pyjamas. And, uh, you know, back then we're talking at, you know, Harold Park, you'd have, you know, 10,000, 15,000 people at Harold Park. So, we we just went along for the ride, and I suppose gambling was a little bit ingrained in me. But um, uh, I, I don't. I think you either have it in you or you don't, and, and um, I certainly did. And and then I just um, moved on from there, I, I suppose. And as I was um, growing up, I you know, had a little bit of a foray into owning some greyhounds and owning some shares in racehorses, and and then that turned into. Um, owning racehorses and I was fortunate enough to have some good ones and um, then I developed a, a breeding business and then I started owning plenty of horses and too many mares and then it was cost me a billion dollars for adjustment so then I thought well I better buy a farm so then I uh, I bought a farm called Marquee or it was it was called Kalani Park but I've renamed it Marquee Stud and, and not as in Marquee as in M-A-R-K-Y I mean as in M-A-R-Q-U-E-E I'm not that egotistical um, so it was called Marquis. I called it Marquis Stud, and it's an 800 acre property up the um, Hunter Valley. And so I turned that into a commercial stud. So we sell at all the major sales, and um, and um, and you know I, I developed that breeding business. Um, and then from there, I I suppose well I'd, I'd you know I'd had a crack at breeding, and I had a crack at racing, and obviously ownership and shares and things like that. And then I thought, well, why not have a crack at being a bookie? Um, I actually had a little foray. I actually had an interview to become a bookie when I was about 21 or 22 years old. And um, fortunately for me at the time, the, the powers of B said, oh, you know, a little bit young and we don't know if you'd, um, you know, um, I think I'm a pretty aggressive bookmaker now, let alone back then. Um, so um, fortunately, they they gave me some fairly um, wise advice and, and um, I decided to, you know, pursue other business interests because I... You know, other than the racing industry, I I, um, I started very early as a – I own an electrical contracting business, which is a pretty substantial business, and I managed to build that into a good business, which then obviously gave me the opportunity. Um, I've had – you know, I owned a fitness centre, I've owned a restaurant, just 
you know, some some really successful and some not so. No, no real train wrecks, um, but just um, anything to do with the business world. And and the, as I was saying, uh, you know, earlier than the, the racing issue, then the next natural prog- progression was to become a bookie. The only thing left is to become a trainer. I don't like early mornings, mate. So that won't be happening. <laughs> so what would what would eighteen or twenty one year old Mark pick out of that entire bunch if he had to had to go back and had to pick one? Was there or, or even at that time, were you highly focused on, you mentioned you might have had an interview that didn't go so well, but were you highly focused on one of the areas of all of those or was it? were you always multidisciplinary and looking into every which way to find you know, new businesses? Yeah, I, I, I think I was just, I was always looking for opportunities and, and my electrical business, I did an apprenticeship just like you know every other 16 or 17-year-old kid back then. Um, and... Um, and you know the the electrical business was a natural um, progression, and and because it was successful, I work hard. I still work hard at it. Um, um, and uh, you know, I, I think that that was what that did was give me the the ability to do other things, be it a bit of property development or or and um, you know even things like the foray into the stock market. I mean, people call you know bookies gambling. Anybody that plays the stock market, that's the biggest gamble in history. Um, so I, you know, it, it gave me that ability. I think, it, uh, I think it was just a wise decision that they, that they, they didn't knock me back. They just said have a rethink. And um, and then you know, as things happened, I, I when I was you know in my late twenties, early thirties, I started having children, and and um, then of course the the other the whole bookmaking thing took a bit of a backseat because I had other responsibilities. What was your experience like throughout that time with the horse racing business in general, like the stud business, for example, or or owning horses? As you went through that, I'm guessing it gave you a good sense of the industry and what would ultimately lead later on to an online bookmaking business. Oh, absolutely! I, I uh, you know, being an owner, I, I always say you've you've got to be extraordinarily resilient. Um, you know, before I had my own stud, um, I used to adjust at another couple of studs. And one of that, one of the stud owners at that stage, you know, we had dinner one night. And he said to me, "Gee, Mark, you take bad news well." You know, I said, "Well, that's only because I get so much of it." Um, <laughs> I, I think that it was—it's a very, you know, the highs are so high owning racehorses, um, and the lows are pretty low. I mean, you know, I've, as I said, I've been fortunate to have a I have a bit of good luck um, owning horses, and I, I've really grown to love the animal. Um, and I love being up at my farm and, and walking amongst the yearlings and amongst the weanlings and the mares. It's, I've, um, I mean, they're a beautiful animal. But when you when you really get to spend some time with them, and they all have, you know, people just see them out there racing on the track, but they all have, you know, very diverse personalities. Um, and it's it, it's 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 a really enjoyable aspect of, of the industry to, to hang out with the horses. I suppose it's a luxury I get because I own the property, but uh, a lot of people should try to experience it if they can. So what did that period of observing betting markets, I'm sure you went to a, a betting ring or two throughout the time where you may not necessarily have been bookmaking directly. What did your observations throughout that period help you learn as you got toward you know, starting the bookmaking business? Were there things that stand out that you remember that you always thought, gee, that would be interesting or this would be better or this would be worse and so on? Oh, uh, look, the, probably the main aspect, I mean, I'm, I'm a punter. Um, and you know that old saying, nothing improves a horse's form like owning it. Um, um, I think one of the main aspects was, was, you know, you get set, but you really couldn't in at times if, you know, if the horses, there were certain bookmakers that would, would be more than, than happy to take a bet. But I suppose the, the, the thing that 
that stood out to me was uh, the diminishing number of bookmakers and um, and and uh, crowds at the races. But you know, you, you could, you know, I could always get a bet on, and you know, and I'd I'd back them to win a bit of money. Um, and at that time, of course, um, with with even the corporates, um, you could get on for credit. So, um, you know, the the, the landscape has obviously changed significantly. But I, I found that being an owner, it was it was it was still okay to get a bet on, and and most people were happy to to take a bet. What was the driving force behind starting the the bookmaking business? Because it sounds like it might have been just a another business that you hadn't necessarily started yet and one worth getting into and there was a burning passion from the, the betting side. But were there other things that stood out? Because it, it's not a simple thing to just get rolling with. I did see a, a place in the market. Um, I know that, that one of the first things, I I think I'm in a bit of a unique position, Jake, because I, I actually um, think that most of the bookmakers, especially the bookmakers on track now, are, are career bookmakers that... Um, have basically had to become businessmen and that's no disrespect to them. They're all really good guys. I know a lot of them very well. They've become very good friends of mine. And by that, I mean, uh, they, they're used to the business of betting, which is turning up to the track and putting your prices up and away you go. But um, now this has to be, there's had to be a transition into, into being business people, um, uh, businessmen and women, because it, you know, there's, there's so many other aspects to what you have to do. So I've sort of gone from the opposite. I've a businessman that's become a bookmaker. So I, I know one of the first questions that was asked to me, you know, what do I think moving forward? And, um, you know, I'm on the board of directors of the co-op, which was, which is a great honor that, um, I, I was able to get on the board of directors of the bookmakers co-op in New South Wales. And, and one of the first thing, questions that they asked me said, well, what do you think? I said, well, look, I think we've all, I think things have changed. And, and my attitude is that, that, um, we're, we're, we're basically people, people aren't doing us a favor. Um, you know, like, we're not doing them a favour taking their money. Um, you know, we, we've got a. We're no longer in the in the wagering industry, as far as I'm concerned. We're in the service industry, yeah. and you, you know, you've you've the, the the choice is so diverse for for everybody that um, you've really got to service your clients. And and to me, I I took a a view of well, um, you know, I'm going to get out there and get amongst the clients and service them and find out what they want. And, and you know, and is it a better price. I mean, every punter wants a better price. Um, everybody, every punter wants to get set for more. But um, you know, what are the other you know instances? What else can you do for them? Um, and and you know, it's it's I've sort of taken it to that level. I've tried to transition transition that into the into the online business. Tell me about the co-op because I've read a little bit about it. There's not a, a heap of information out there. What are those discussions like? Either at the meetings, on the side, before you go, afterwards, tell us what the the idea of the co-op was and is, and how it how it generally unfolds. Well, the the, the co-op is is basically a collection of bookmakers, both city and country, like metropolitan and, and country or provincial bookmakers. That um, you know, we have a meeting every month, and and really, it's it's uh, you know a group of um, I wouldn't say like-minded people because what makes up makes a cult and what makes you know any board of directors is is um you know differing opinions and it's it's basically our job to try to you know um you know try to get say press government um or or the office of liquor gaming and racing to to legislate different things um that would be advantageous to on course bookies um you know previous uh to me johnny Dwyer, dave Dwyer's the chairman he's just I hope he never retires. He's just 
you know, does a fantastic job and, um, you know, you know, they will canvass, um, you know, different departments of the government for, you know, wage and relaxation. For instance, uh, you heard me mention about the um, the no credit. Well, on-course bookmakers can still, can still give credit if we mm-hmm. like. Um, you know, so they were successful in, in, in having on-course bookmakers exempt from that. Um, uh, you know, even things like turnover tax and rebates and things like that. We, we tried it. You know, stand fees at the tracks and, and things like that. It's 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 our job to try to negotiate an outcome for all of our members, um, whether it be country, you know, provincial or metropolitan. Um, and so that's what we try to try to do. As I said, we you know by no means do we always agree, um, but ultimately, um, you know, I'd like to think that we're all swimming in the same direction because um, it's you know it's it's pretty pretty strong um, currents against us at times. So we, we have to try to do whatever we can and if we we do it collectively it makes it a bit easier than individually yeah and is it is it a progressive organization where you're pushing the boundaries or is it trying to maintain the status quo and trying to be conservative in the the patch of land that the on-course you know country provincial and metropolitan bookmakers hold at this point oh i think there's a there is an air of um you know being conservative to a, to a certain point and 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 to sort of not risk what we have, but um, I think that's, uh, you know, a little bit like, you know, only half watering your plant. I mean, um, it, you know, it, it, it might might survive, but it's not going to grow. So, um, you know, we, you know, I, I certainly like to, to think that, you know, we've put some things to to the Australian Turf Club, for example, and, and um, you know, that we think are fairly progressive um, and, um, you know, we – you know, we'd we'd like to think that the race clubs would like to partner with us, so to speak. Um, in in um, you know what's good for us will ultimately good, be good for them. If we can offer a, a better product, a better service um, than our competitors, by our competitors I mean the corporates, um, then you know we would like to encourage people to come back to the track. Um, and I don't mean just come and have a drink and um, you know if you're a guy hit on a girl, if you're a girl, you know get drunk and regret that a guy hit on you or didn't hit on you. Um, I mean, come there to wager, come there to have, um, you know, an experience, you know, encompass an all encompassing experience at the track, get dressed up, um, but do it more regularly. Um, So if we can offer, you know, things like, you know, um, you know, get the opportunity to, to, to get free bets or get the opportunity to, to, um, you know, get interviewed or, or, you know, um, just to, just to, to have a fun day, a bit of thrust. I like to call it with my clients a bit of thrust and parry, a bit of, bit of banter and, um, you know, fair fight, so to speak. Um, you know, so I, I think that's an important um, uh, aspect of the co-op and an important, an, an important task to try to um, convince um, some of the powers that be that we're a really valuable asset um, to, to the traction general, both, you know, like city and country, um, absolutely. Is there a, a bit of a mission statement for the group, or is it still every item you got to you got to battle it out, have the discussions, the debates, and then ultimately decide as a co-op what direction to head? It's funny because we're actually um, we have some corporate uh, guidelines. Our, our administrator Les Millership, who again does a fantastic job, he he um, attended a few um, corporate seminars and, and corporate governance, and um, and we are developing a, a mission statement. Um, you know, all all the directors. Uh, the course of the next few months, I've got to, um, you know, declare all interests in other entities, and I, I've got several different businesses, so I've got quite a few interests to declare, um, and and as have some of the other bookmakers. So um, we are, 
you know, going towards the, um, you know, like whilst it's, we, we, none of us get paid um, to, to be on the board of directors. It's all uh, voluntary. Um, but we are developing, you know, we have the same, you know, minutes of meetings and declare meetings app and all that. The, the same that happens on any public company board of directors or every private company board of directors, the same. Um, we've got the same processes and we're governed by the same laws. Are there any punters allowed in the co-op or just bookmakers who are, like yourself, punters dressed up as bookmakers? No, just, yeah, exactly. That's right. Punters are dressed up as bookmakers. Yeah, just, um, just bookmakers. Tell me then, what is the future of the betting ring and, you know, on course uh, participation generally for, for fans coming to the racetrack is certainly divergent from, you know, when I was younger and probably when you were younger. Um, generally, those crowds that people talk about probably aren't going to be the same week to week. Maybe you can talk about... Flemington in the spring and things like that, but just generally from a co-op perspective, from your perspective, a bookmaker, what's the the betting betting ring going to look like, and what future do you foresee for it and, and want to see for it? Um, look, I think uh, COVID has um, probably accelerated um, maybe some some changes to the betting ring, and and I, I suppose if we don't adapt, um, you know, you wither and die on the vine a little bit. So. Um, I think that there'll definitely be changes. There'll probably be several bookmakers that decide not to go back um, for one reason or another. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that with any info, inside information. That's just my opinion. Um, I think, you know, Jake, the, the question is, will people want to go back there and be shoulder to shoulder? I mean, we're experiencing now that shopping centres are open and all that sort of stuff. Again, people are jamming in there. And, uh, you know, my son went off to a nightclub the other night Um I said, that was a social distancing. He said, that was out the window, Dad, you know. But they'd all, they'd all had about 100 drinks, so that makes sense. But um, I know that the the, uh, the race course are putting in certain parameters and certain guidelines for people to, to adhere to. So, um, you know, if, if you would – I think the days of the betting ring as such where you've got an outer ring and, an, and, a, and a rails, I think – I personally would like to see that change. I'd like to see everybody on the rails. Um so you, you you open it up. I think that enclosed um, sort of claustrophobic atmosphere of a betting ring um, may very well cease to exist. Um, you know, and I think uh, you know I, I, I've put a few little theories to the to the ATC about some um, some options. I mean, I, I'd like to see a Vegas style VIP betting room, and I don't mean VIP as in my company or my business. I mean, um, you know, if if any of you've ever been to a, even you know, Star Casino or, you know, people that, that um, are considered, you know, regular, um, substantial uh, punters, you know, go up to a you know, room and they get food and they get drink and they get all that sort of stuff. And they, um, you know, it's amazing when you go to those places, some people quite happily do, you know, $10,000 playing Baccarat, but, but as long as they get their free spring rolls and, uh, and, and <laughs> yep, egg salad sandwiches, exactly. you know. Yep. Uh, um you know, and probably Vegas do it better than anybody, and they do that for a reason because it's such a competitive market in, in Vegas. So, you know, I'd like to see something like that um, put on the track. So basically, um, really, it, it, then it, the track can cater for punters, for people that want to have a bet. And and the limits would change in that room. It wouldn't be like on the rails where you have to bet to lose five and, you know, Sydney and Melbourne, for example. But it wouldn't be like that. I mean, you could – There'd be a selection of bookmakers. I'd, I'd, of course, like to be one of them. That you know, people that want to have a bet can come and have a bet. Um, you know, rather than try to have you know twenty thousand or thirty thousand online, come to the track. There'll be four of us in that room, and um, you know, choose one or choose all of us. And um, so, I'd like to see something like that to to make it a, to to sort of make it a premium betting experience. And 
for want of a better terminology, we'll call it the rank and file punter. Um, I, I think the, the landscape will change. I think that there won't be as many bookmakers. I think um, the courses will look at the positioning of bookmakers a little bit um, more closely. Um, you know, separation of bookmakers. Um, I think they'll probably name, and this again, this is only my opinion. They'll probably try to in, introduce more dining experiences and more seated packages for people. Um, I'd also like to see certain bookmakers issued with a roaming license, and by that I mean not to go and hassle people, but I'm sure Jake, you've been to plenty of big days where um, you know slipper days and things like that. And the slippers are amazing because you, you know as a bookmaker we get there first, um, and we're allowed into the course first. But um, or, or you know the Everest day for example, yeah. um, once those gates open, it's a, it's pandemonium. People trying to get a table, and once they get that table, they don't want to leave because if they if they if they leave that table, someone else is going to jump in there in their spot, so to speak. So um, how do they get a bet on? How do they get a drink? I mean, um, you know, I'd like to see a Roman bookmaker service where basically, you know, bookmakers are a lot of certain areas and you go, you don't hassle these people. You just say, would you like a bet? Um, you know, it's not pioneering. I mean, they've done it in mm. some of the restaurants at the ATC for many years. Um, so it's, again, that's getting back to what I said about you're in the service industry. I mean, I'm sure, um, you know, a young bloke like yourself has been to plenty of bars in your life and, and um, you know, I know myself when I was a young guy. You want to sit, you sit at a table. It's beautiful having a waiter or a waitress come and serve you. We don't have to get up and line and line up at the bar. Um, yep. Well, when pro- we used to much- go up to Sydney, living in Melbourne, we used to, we ended up having to buy the packages just because we that exactly what you described. We had to get there at the crack of dawn, and that wasn't always possible when you go up to Sydney for the weekend to to be the first one there. If you didn't, then you're really battling most of the day. And then we ended up just saying we're going to pay up front. It ended up being at least a couple hundred bucks, three, four, five, six hundred bucks in the end per person. Guaranteed a spot, guaranteed service, um, guaranteed a bookmaker without a line for five, ten, fifteen minutes sometimes in some of those rings during those carnivals back, you know, this is probably a decade ago now, but that's where overall amenity experience plus service is probably critical. And and that's well, I couldn't agree more. Um, I mean I I remember coming to the Melbourne Cup one day, um, and I think it was might have been the second one that Maccabi did. Maccabi did the one. Um, it was it was just the it was Armageddon. The weather was Armageddon. Now I remember it. Uh, myself and a few of my friends had paid twelve hundred dollars to, to uh, per head to have a little bit of a lunch package, and yeah. you know, and and at the time, look, it was good. It was there was a good experience, but the value. And I actually turned once once the heavens opened, I turned to my mates and I said, "This is the best twelve hundred dollars we've ever spent in our <laughs> life." Um, because it was carnage, and 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 again, you know, you, you you know, I think that's as I said, getting back to the service side of it. If we can, as a, as a group, and I mean, work in, in conjunction with the ATC. As I said, I don't mean people standing by a table saying, "Come on, have a bet, have a bet, have a bet." I don't mean that. I mean to to be, you know, the best restaurants will go to the waiters are there, but they're not seen. Um, so if we can somehow cater to the the punting public. Um, and just make it generally a, a, a better experience for them to come to the track. Um, you know, and, and we as a co-op have got to do our part too. We as bookmakers have got to do our part too. I mean, um, I know myself, I'm going to, I'm going to look to put my staff in uniforms because, you know, we've had there's obviously a lot of occasions when, especially young people, it's very daunting, I think, to go into a ring and, and, you know, see, see some guy with a, you know, battered up old bag sitting there and, um, you know, you know, everybody's rushing in over the top of everybody trying to put a bet on and some guy's trying to impress his girlfriend by having $25 on a horse. Um, <coughs> pardon me. And I think that's a very daunting experience for, for people. So, 
if we can make it more inviting and, you know, uniforms is a classic where, you know, they don't have to look for Mark Lardy and VIP betting or Dave Dwyer or, or you know, Grant Palmer. Um, they know that, you know, we're all in – my staff's in navy blue with silver logo or whatever. Um, you know, it's it just to make it a little bit more, you, you know, um, I suppose professional is, is, is maybe too strong a, a term, but a little bit more professional looking, a little bit more inviting. Is, is probably yep. the right term. Yep. So I don't mean to be insensitive by this, but and I'm, I'll get to a point in a minute, but outside of Carnival Days especially, what is the advantage for a bookmaker to be on track? And even thinking to Provincial, for example, um, I remember even back when I was living in Australia still, going to some midweek or Thursday night Mooney Valley type meetings, it didn't strike me as a great place to be for, a, for an on-course bookmaker back then. No, it's probably not. Um, it's you're... You, you, 100% uh, correct that it is not um, from a profitability point of view, from a from an expense, uh, you know, as far as a, like a turnover point of view and, a, and an expense-driven point of view. It's in a lot of instances, it's not um, the place you want to be. But <clears throat> if you've if you've developed uh, clients, um, which I've tried to do since I've been on track, if you've developed a, a client base, again, we get back to that service aspect. I mean. Um, you know, Jake, if you if you if you go to a, a pie shop and you go to the same pie shop, you know, every Thursday for your pie in the morning and then one Thursday you go there and that pie shop's not open, you go up the road to the pie shop up the road and you get a pie shop a pie from there and say, Oh, well, that pie was all right as well. I don't know if I really need to go to my regular pie shop. So if you're not there, if you're not open for business, then then you you risk um letting another rooster into the hen house, so to speak. Yeah. Um yeah. You know, punters are pretty hardy mob, and they're. I will say this with all due respect to most punters that a lot of them aren't fiercely loyal. Um, probably they shouldn't <laughs> be either. Um, but if you can provide them with a service and a regular service where they they get a role or they you know um, they get on for what they want, um, even in some instances it might be something as simple as you know you've got a regular punter that will bet um, with you all the time, and they've just jumped at at. Mooney Valley, for example, on, you know, if we're at Canterbury on Friday night, and they've just jumped, jumped at Mooney Valley and he wants to get on bet on. You know, they've gone 100 metres, but he comes out, well, you let him on because he's a regular punter. You, you know, you take his bet. Um, you know, so it's a bit like, it's a, just, just a bit, you know, offering a service to your, your punters. Yeah, it makes sense. I know, you know, Monday Night Football's very big here. If you go to the same pub, it might be, you know, 20% capacity, but you got your same guy who serves you a few beers and have a chat with. Obviously, Friday, Saturday nights, they're packed and, they don't need to close on Mondays just because because uh, of the Thursday Friday night situation. But the point I was trying to get towards is a lot of punters say they've left the track. It's not an advantage for them to be there. They can have a, a different slash better setup from their home office, for example, or a place with you know solid connectivity and a couple of screens and so on and so forth. Is there an advantage, or could there, or should there be an advantage for for you guys at the track? Is that something you guys discuss when you? You get together at the co-op, or you generally discuss different things. Is there a way to make it uh, more advantageous for you and your colleagues to be there, as opposed to, to not being there? Um, yeah, that's a that's a, a really good point. Um, again, one of the things when I first joined the co-op, I, I said, look, you know, we have no social media presence. I mean, we have a great product. Um, you know, my my my, um, my daughter Sophie does the social media. Um, you know, was appointed to do a bit of work for the co-op and, you know, she also works for several bookmakers, so she knows the betting industry and and she did a bit of a comparison there over a period of a couple of months and, you know, we were betting in general 
substan- a substantially better price than, than than our competitors. And by our competitors, I mean the corporates and and um, you know other online uh, bookies, um, you know the tab and and um, we had we you know we we were definitely a better product. Um, uh, you know you 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 know I. Do I understand the, the the beauty, especially on a winter's day in the middle of July, getting up in the morning? I mean, myself before I was a bookie, uh, you know, I'd get up. My my Saturday was was up, uh, go to the gym, you know, grab a bacon egg sandwich on the way back, you know, um, have a have a cup of coffee and sit down and you know, I had a couple of TV screens and out would come the iPad and the and the phone and away I'd go. Um, you know, no need to get drinks. Still, you know, if I hadn't been to the gym, I could still be in my pajamas at home. Um, yeah, do I understand the the appeal of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know, if if you're a punter that, um, oh look, I don't think there's anything. There's nothing like being at the track. Um, and and as I said, we're working with with, with the ATC in, in um, on a few different um, um, promotional ideas to to try to entice people to say, you know, we will get at the track today. We won't stay at home. But um, I think that we have we definitely offer a better price because we don't we don't have um, you know. The guidelines, as as far as the corporates, we don't have, um, you know, we, whilst we have staff costs, but um, you know, we don't we don't have a lot of the costs that they have, and and um, we recognise that on course is is um, we've got to offer better prices, and um, that's reflected to the to the to the punter. They they can take advantage of that. So for the next generation or the next wave of racing fan, let's say. What direction? What direction do you think it's heading in terms of? And this is a very simplistic way to think about it, but the racetrack experience being a social event versus being a, a wagering event or a wagering experience, for example, it seems like it's headed very, very quickly in one of those directions. And you know, my experience in Australia with horse racing, especially in the beginning, it was far closer to a wagering event, and then by the end, which wasn't that you know long ago necessarily, it was far more to a social event uh, with like the things you mentioned with, with alcohol and, and parties and live music and things like that. Do you think that's still heading in the same direction or what's your perspective and viewpoint given you sit at a different uh, position than, than I was as a race goer and as a better? Oh, look, you're absolutely right. And that's not going to change. Um, you know, the, the, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, a, a study conducted um, only a couple of years ago basically said that the new place, you know, when I was a young guy going to the track, you, you went to gamble. Um, you know, the, the the facilities weren't great. You know, you, 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 the best you could hope for was a, was you know, ham roll or a or a pie. Um, you know, so the facilities weren't great. You, you know, you went to and there was a lot of hardheads there, and you went and you went to gamble. Um, but I think now, according to the latest studies, basically it's where young, young, you know, people almost looking for love um, or other things, um, you know, go to meet. And um, you know, because the girls are best dressed beautifully, and the guys are, you know, dressed in the nines in their in their suits, and it's, you know, some areas where they some places where they would never dress like that other unless they're going to a race track. Even weddings, they probably mm-hmm. best ready go, be, be, dress better going to the races. So yes, it's it's definitely going down the social scene. The future of on course bookies, unless we adapt, as I said, unless we are given certain licenses by the ATC, um, we may very well become the sideshow. We may very well become. Uh, you know the the um, sideshow alley top at you know the Easter show where we'll be we'll be there on you know or we'll be invited there on um, you know Carnival days and we'll be invited there on um, you know for Melbourne Cup day and um, you know Golden Slipper day and, and Spring Carnival or Championships in in Sydney and um, 
you know, we'll have various locations and and then once that's over, then we'll toddle on off again. And, you know, and if that ha- I hope that doesn't happen. And, you know, we, I think if, if we market ourselves correctly and I think if we can really work in conjunction with the powers that be, um, we can establish a, a, a place here, I wouldn't say dominance, but a place on track where, where we could all um, benefit. You know, is a number – look, I, I suppose it's a – you know, I use an analogy of a barbecue chicken shop in an area, uh, you know, does really, really well, like super. And then a second one opens up and two of them do good, you know, do 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 quite well. A third one opens up and three of them break even. Then a fourth one opens up and all four of them struggle. Um, <clears throat> open the fifth one up and they all go broke. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is it, is it a, a place where, you know, it's a rotational bookmaker scheme, but then you, then, you know, you don't have that regular – like we have clients that just want to bet with us because – um, I suppose, you know, I always said to my staff, you either got to make them like you or make them hate you. Um, <laughs> if they like you, they're going to want to bet with you. If they hate you, they're going to want to beat you. Um, but, you know, because we, ha- we, you know, I'd get off my stand and, and, and intermingle with a lot of people um, that, that we have that relationship. So that might suit a lot of punters. That might be like, well, why is, why isn't Mark Alardi here? Well, it's not his week on. So, um, you know, I, I think that there is a place for us, but it's got to be um, – it's got to be, you know, financially viable for bookmakers. I mean, you know, we're all business people. We're not there, um, you know, just to enhance people's experience. We, we earn a living. We have staff that we have to pay. So um, there is a place, but um, whether we can compete with the whole entertainment aspect of it, I, I, I don't know, um, which is obviously why I've gone to the online um, platform. Yeah, so tell us about that. What was... But besides obvious reasons, what was the 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 push to go online? And I guess couple that with a retail business and then having an online business. It's not necessarily that simple to to jump from doing one thing to doing both and trying to do both very well. Uh, look, I I think it was expedited by COVID. Um, it was always in the works for that to happen, and um, you know the the co-op has a you know. Uh, the platform we use is, is a, a system called Jaguars uh, that most of us use on track, um, and that could be, um, you know, linked with with um, our online services. So um, our web developers could could do that fairly cost effectively. And um, and look, I suppose you've you've said it yourself, Jake. I just um, you can recognise, you can see what's happening. Um, you know, I've only been a bookmaker for probably you know, four years. Um, but even in that time, I could see crowds diminishing and, and, and really it's, it's more everywhere you look, you, all you do is someone, you see someone looking at their phone. Um, now either they're checking Facebook or they're having a bet. Um, so, you know, you know, if you, if you can't beat them, let's say you've got to join them. Um, and so I developed VIP betting services. Um, you know, I, I, I think that we offer some something you know a little different, and I'm I'm not trying to, you know, um, put myself on a, up on a pedestal there. But I, I sort of, I know it's a bit of a contradiction, but I like to think I'm a bit of a bookie with a, a bookmaker with a conscience, so to speak. Um, I, I don't, um, you know, we we try. Look, we one good thing about the site is, is it's very easy for people to exclude, and I think gambling um, addictions and gambling problems are very prevalent uh, in the world. And you know, I know myself. Um, people have the option to ring me directly and, and we, we have a chat um, either before they, they you know, start betting or, or during. Um, 
you know, and I'm, and I'm pretty upfront. I, I say what I'm looking for is a fair fight. Um, I don't want somebody that's going to gamble their their grocery money or their kids' tuition, um, you know, or, or you know the you know can't get home um, or can't get back from the club because they've done their money and can't afford a cap. Uh, I, I, I have no desire in that. I have no interest in that. Um, I think it's not good for them, and it's and it's not good for me. It's not something that I want. Um, and whilst I'm not people's moral compass, um, you know what I what I try to you know get through to people is I, I think that that other than the professionals that gamble, I think gambling's supposed to be fun. I mean, everybody people have hobbies, man. I know I know I know a guy that him and his son go and do you know that indoor skydiving costs him like a thousand bucks a day to do it. Um, you know, if you've ever, I'm sure you've known people who have a boat, who've had a boat. I had a boat, and and that was a very costly <laughs> experience for me. Right? Um, you know, and whether it's you know uh, model airplanes or, or or whatever it is, and some hobbies, as you're aware, Jake, can be very expensive, um, and people do them because they're they're fun. Um, so I actually think gambling, you know, is supposed to be fun. Um, you know, and and you know if if you're dealing with people that it's disposable income, so if they say, look, I've you know I've got X amount to set aside for whatever, that's okay, it's fun and. Unlike boats, they actually have the opportunity to, to win at it. At it, um, but it's you know we try to market ourselves that way, um, and and hopefully, um, you know we I, I don't want people getting in trouble. They're, one thing that is very prevalent is is the amount of exclusions um, that happen. And I think it's um, you know it's probably good and bad. Um, I think some people exclude because they just had a bad day or. Um, I don't know if you've ever had it, but I've sure as hell had it when I when I was punting. You know, you'd walk yep. off the track and say, ah, "That'll do me. I'm I'm done." And then you wake up the next morning, you go, oh, "That wasn't that bad." And I was a bit unlucky. And then you know, the next day, you go, "I'll oh, have a bet somewhere." Um, so it's some people probably regret it. I mean, we've had plenty of people come back and say, "Oh, look, I regret it by or excluded by accident." Well, so well, our hands are tied. You're excluded. There's nothing we can do. Um, so I, I just think that it's you know you've got to you've got to be try to you know notice that that um if someone's as i said I'm not people we're not people's moral conscience but but i think you've got to be reasonable and, and to be honest with you most of the, the bookies that i know guys like dave dwyer and, and grant lynch and, and justin thompson guys that are online similar platform to me i know that they have the same philosophy as me we're not we're not out for somebody to you know lose their marriage because they've they've gambled gambled away you know the the mortgage payment we're, we're not interested in that well, I think it's great to hear because I recall as you were describing there growing up thinking that this was not a part of anything. Like I don't even remember one responsible gambling advertisement, nothing at the track, nothing on any wagering platforms that I can recall. And, you know, I think about the culture shift that needed to happen back then and I hope it's happening. It sounds like it might be if if you and Dave and your cohorts are, are thinking in that vein because I think it can happen. I think if you think about um, Swim Between the Flags, how successful that's been, uh, even things like drink driving, you know, just don't drink drive. Some of the, the approaches to that and the mentality around that and, and it being more celebrated that if you do designate a driver and they stick to it, it's it's not a shame your mate type thing necessarily. It's it's moved on from that to being important. I think responsible gambling generally hasn't followed in that same vein yet and I do hope it changes. Do you think, you know, you've probably got your finger on the pulse. Do you think that culture shift is happening now? Oh, definitely. Um, look, I think... Um... You know, we're, we're you know we're in the age of litigation. Um, and you living in the states would be well and truly aware of that. Um, you know, and you know we have to be a little careful 
you know, if we recognise someone, you know, there there are certain people that gamble. And I think this, you know, this guy's, this guy probably can't win. Um, you know, and and I suppose some people think, ah, oh, you know, bookies, heartless, you know, vultures. I can tell you that's that's not the case. I mean, I know myself. I actually, um, and the guy was only a small punter, but. Um, you know, he lost about $249, I think, to be exact. And he basically sent me an email saying, look, I'm doing it a bit tough. So, uh, again, I'm not trying to put myself up on pedal. So I'm just trying to give you an example of, of, of how, and I know that other bookmakers have done the same. I actually sent the guy back some money, um, you know, and I said, mate, you know, maybe you need to give it a miss. Um, you know, if, if, if losing $249 is, is causing you, you know, to have a bit of angst, um, you know, maybe it's not. It's something that you should look at. Um, now, fortunately for me, like, and, and I think for him, he excluded, which is, which is great. But, and I know other bookmakers have done the same. I mean, you know, does anybody really think that, that you know, as a bookie, do you, do you think I'd ever want to read in the paper that, you know, someone's, um, you know, taken, you know, drastic steps because, you know, they, they, they've, you know, lost their, their car uh, to, to VIP betting services or any other bookmaker? I, no, no bookmaker that I know would ever want that. So, um, you know, you know, we're in business. Sure. We're, we're like any other business where I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm not a not-for-profit organization. I'm in business, you know, and I've got, you know, mouths to feed myself. And, and, um, but again, if, if we can try to focus on people that, that, um, have the means to, to deal with the losses. And I'm, I'm not just talking big puns. I'm not just talking about Leviathans. I'm talking about, you know, as I said, you might have somebody that, um, you know, somebody gives up cigarettes. I mean, I don't, I've never smoked, but I heard a guy buy a pack of cigarettes the other day and I nearly killed over what he paid for them. Um, you know, but if someone gives up cigarettes and then decides that, um, you know, well, like uh, I'm saving $250 a week on cigarettes, uh, I might have a punt with that $250. Well, the punt's a lot healthier than the cigarettes to start with. Um, but, it, you know, again, it's, it's people using um, – you know, money that they've got set aside. And it's no different than, you know, they set aside X amount for fuel and tolls and rego and house insurance and, and um, you know, maintenance to their house or whatever. Um, it's no different than that. They, they get to, to um, have a bit of fun, have a chance of having a win and not adversely affecting their life. And I think that's it's really important for all of us, um, you know, to, to be on the lookout for, for people that have got an issue. Yeah, absolutely. And I do hope it continues in that vein and, and you know, in a if not already, but into the future, it's far easier for people to exclude and excluding isn't a negative. It's not a knock on someone. It's nothing other than a good decision and a good choice. And hopefully that permeates through. And I, I wanted to ask when the, you talked about some big punters before and the Leviathans, when they come along, what's your bookmaking style? What's your approach? Are you, are you looking to be aggressive? Are you looking to be conservative? Has it changed over the last couple of years? And and when we talk about some of these bigger guys or the groups that come along, I'm guessing you're not too worried about them or scared to take them on. But generally, how does it go for you and the team? Oh, I'm a I'm I'm a lunatic. I mean, I have a bit of a joke with everybody. Look, when I started, um, I was fortunate. I I sort of did a little bit of a stint at the provincials, and I went I went straight to the rails. An opportunity came up. Um, and I'm a bit like that, all oh, the squeakiest wheel, Jake. I just I wanted to be the squeaky wheel till I got what I wanted, so to speak. Um, and I was on the on the end of the rails, and you know it's a hard place to ride about, especially when there's not a, a lot of people there. So I I adopted a very aggressive approach. And some people would would have said, I'm sure some people said, oh, no, this guy can't last. It's not right what he's doing because I I basically took on all comers. Um, you know, 
and I laid things for a lot of money. I had some bad days. We had some very, very good days too. Um, and there was a method to my madness. I had to, I had to one, create a platform for myself and create a, a, a name for myself, so to speak, a, you know, where people could, could have a bet. Um, you know, I offer people, as I said, I offer people a pretty good service. Look, I know the rule is you're supposed to stand on your, stay on your stand, but I didn't like just standing on the stand all day. I like to get out and have a chat and have a laugh with, with different people. So I, I wasn't about trying to steal people's business. So I was just trying to offer an alternative. Um, you know, an alternative package to, to different people. So, um, you know, I took on pretty much all comers and I bet them to lose a, a big chunk. Um, has my style changed? Um, not so much. Um, all that's happened now is I've probably recognised the heart of money um, and, and I'm less inclined to to be aggressive with those guys, which is common sense. Um, you know, there are certain punters, and, and in fairness to some of my peers, a few of them, quite a few of my peers did warn me and say, look, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, you won't beat. Year in, year out, we've been doing this a long time, you won't beat them. And they were right. So, um, you know, I adopted that, a bit of an approach to that, um, where I, I obviously am a bit cautious with those guys. Um, but I think that everybody deserves, you know, the right to have a chance to have to win. I mean, you know, if, if punters get to a certain point where they've they've had a bad day. You know, the last thing someone needs if they've they've lost, you know, let's say three thousand dollars for the day and then they you know, probably not a good example. Let's say it's ten thousand for the day. Not too many people lose ten thousand for the day. But if they had, you know, and they suddenly want to have um, you know, five hundred on something at twenty to one, well, I'm not gonna say no to them because they have a right to try to get out. Um and if it wins, which has happened to me before, if it wins, well it wins. Um, you know, and I'm okay with it. I mean I've actually told people at the trap, look, you've had a really good day. I'll be here next week. Take your money, go home, you know, enjoy yourself, buy your wife a gift or, you know, buy your son a car or whatever and then come back next week and um, we'll start it all again. So um, I think, you know, people have to realise that, you know, if they've had a good day, well, they've had a good day. Um, so, I, I, yes, in, you know, it's a long-winded way to get to the answer that, you know, I'm, I'm fairly aggressive at, in what I do and I like to give people the opportunity to have a bet. What about the the middle tier, let's call it, where you obviously got the, the bigger punters, the winning punters, you got those that are there for fun, recreation, entertainment, you know, five each way, 20 each way type punters. And then what about those that are putting a fair bit of time in? They might do a pretty good job with the form. You know, they're decent at, at picking a few winners and betting relatively well. They'll probably break even for you, maybe win a little bit, maybe lose a little bit. What does that segment of the, the market look like for you? Are you welcoming all of those? Are they great for your business, great for turnover, or how do you think about it? Because I don't think too many people talk about that group too often. It's often the uh, one end of the scale or the other, certainly when you talk about minimum bet laws and some of those things, it's, it's at the far right end of the scale. And then, you know, Melbourne Cup Day and, um, you know, all the, all the guys and gals that are there for one day of the year, it's in that end of the scale. But what about those in the middle? Where do they fit within your overall business and, and your approach? Oh, look, they're an important part because they help make the book. And I suppose I'll, I'll qualify a couple of things here, Jake. The, some of the, the, the very big punters aren't necessarily the best punters. Um, when I say the best punters, I mean they're not necessarily winning punters because their big punters don't make them winning punters. Um, I mean, look, you know, bet laws, is, and, and I'll talk about that in a, in a, in a minute, um, but the, the rank and file, if you call them rank and file punters, those guys that do their farm, we've got some very clever guys that seem to win a fair bit. Um, what I look for with, with my clients, and, and, and I talk to them about it regularly, I suppose what I look for is loyalty. Um, and I preach this. It's not about win or lose. It's not about, you know, 
I want you to be loyal because you always lose. Um, I actually want you to be loyal if you win as well. Um, and, and and that's not so much because I want my ch- a chance to get my money back because, you know, if they're that good, I'm not going to get my money back anyway. But it's more about about making a book. It's more about, you know, having the idea of trying to, um, you know, lessen the, the, the results. Um, you know, I might have guys that, that win all the time, but, you know, if I'm sending a bigger guy for a lot more money somewhere else, well, I'm obviously I'm cheering their horse because it's a better result for me. Um, and in some instances, when you've got, um, you know, and any bookmaker that says they don't, I think is probably being a little bit untruthful. Um, you know, the clever guys that that, that uh, bet with you, we, you know, you, you can take, you know, if, you, if, if you're laying the favourite for a lot of money and some of them, we, we'll call them pros, and there's several of them out there, um, if they're happy to bet around the favourite, then um, probably gives you a little bit more confidence taking the favourite on for more. So, um, you know, they're also sourcing information, even though um, it doesn't sort of come across that way. And, you know, and look, I'll say this as a the minimum bet laws, and that's an interesting conundrum, I think, because in any of my other businesses, um, if I don't want to work for a client, then I don't have to. Um, I don't think bookmaking should be any different now. Everyone's going to say, oh, yeah, you just want to take <laughs> on the smartest. Um, that's not necessarily true. I think what it is is that, you know, if, if, if I've got a, a particular pro that bets with me, um, you know, they'll, they'll, have, they'll have a bet and, and more often than not, they're going to win. And, that, and I accept that and we bet them the minimum because, you know, I'm running a business model that's, that's got to be profitable. But um, the fact is that um, I'm happy for them to bet with me, but why should they have a, have a situation where they've got 20 people in office to push a button at the same time and they get on with 20 of us at the same time? That's not, that's not a fight between equals, let's say. That's not, a, that's not a, a, what I call a fair fight. Um, and, and that's fine, and that's the way the law's written, and we adhere to the laws. Um, you know, but it, that's just an interesting story because, you know, if, I, if um, you know, don't want to work, like, for a particular client in, say, my electrical business, then um, I, I don't have to work for them. Um, I only work for one client in my electrical business because I chose not to work for other clients. Um, and, and um, you know, why should bookmaking be any different? What's your opinion on that, Jake? I think it's going to be forever discussed. It probably has been for a long time. I guess it's probably, I think the way the analytics can be done now, potentially it's, it's far easier for the business owners, the bookmakers, let's say to, to sift through all that and find out exactly what's going on relatively quickly. Um, so I think it is a challenge. I think, you know, I'm legally trained. My, you know, my opinion on some of this stuff is often based on the law and regulations, how they are and, and trying to describe exactly what the situation is and what it means for those participants involved. And I see from both sides, you know, I see the bookmaker want to run a, a business. It's profitable, hopefully. And it's, it's not a, uh, it's not a non-for-profit and you don't want to be out there just, just writing tickets to these people who are able to win. And, and there are many ways to do it. You know, people arbitrage, people find middles and scalping. People might be match betting. They might be bonus, but all these different things that they can and, uh, are doing so i think there's plenty of sympathy that should be had for someone on that side and then i also understand that if you're a um if you're a punter and you're trying to run your business based on some assumptions and then those change i would imagine there's some some angst that comes with that uh just given that you've tried to map out a plan and you've done a fair bit of hard work and you feel entitled to some degree that you should be able to enjoy the payoffs of that but that's just unfortunately not how it is and not how it goes I mean, look, we, we, we let them on. I mean, unless the odds are coming in. And the, it's, it's an amazing thing that the, the clever guys, a lot of them, within 
almost instantaneously, they'll, and we know they're not associated, but they'll, back at, they'll bet at the same time. Um, and, and they bet it when they get value, when, they get, when it gets to a particular price, and they, and they bet. And then, obviously, we have the option of rejecting people that are, um, you know, when the price is already changing, and that's fine. And our system does it automatically. Whether it goes in or out, our system does it. So, um, you know, but again, um, and I've discussed it with them, and I say, look, well, you know, I, I let you on because that's, that's the rule, and we, we play in, in, inside the rules. And it's, it's interesting that you mentioned, um, you know, bonus bets because I wanted to, have, to touch on that. Um, I, I think that there's too much ambiguity around the bonus bet laws. I mean, you know, no one can offer an inducement for somebody to open an account, but once they open an account, you can give them whatever you want um, or whatever they want. Um, I think that if we're serious about responsible gambling, um, I think um, bonus bets and account matches and money back for second and protest, protest payouts, and um, I think that we've got to wean punters off that and get back to giving them a better price and a better product. I don't think people realise that it's actually reflected in their price that they're getting anyway. So realistically, um, whilst they might struggle to win on their bonus bets, even their normal bets, they're, they're actually getting less of a price because it has to be factored in. I mean, you know, any business has to do the, the model and factor in that that it's, um, you know, if people are giving that away, then that's, that's an issue. And I, I personally think that um, it's become an entitlement that people are just used to, especially the younger generation. Um, they just, you know, we'll have people open up an account and and look, and we know, and I think, you know, we know who they are and what they do, and and you know, you would have heard that heard the term promotional abusers, um, you know, and I think that there's a there is a spirit of cooperation amongst bookmakers in regards to that, um, that that yes, we're all running our individual businesses, but um, you know, when you've got guys that you know, the same group of five or six or eight or ten guys that. You know, one guy comes, so oh, I can get all these guys signed up, but you've got to give them this. And then they go to the, and then, you know, they, they have their bet, they turn their money over and out, out it comes. And then they go to the next. And that's, of course, their right if people want to give it to them. And, and I've had to fight fire with fire. And, you know, when it comes to guys like myself taking on the corporates, well, they've got a bigger cannon than me. So, um, but, you know, ultimately, I think the real, the real key to it, and um, I've mentioned this to a betting steward at Racing New South Wales, I said, with the ambiguity that surrounds the laws, I, I personally think we have to wean people off just assuming that you put in $100 and you, you know, um, you get a $100 match. Or, you know, the a standard call will be, oh, we've just lost, I've, you know, I've just lost $200, I want a $200 match. Well, because you've lost $200, should I just give my money away to you? Um, it seems to be a very prevalent now and, and, some people, I'm led to believe, make a living off getting bonuses um, from various bookmakers because there's quite a few of us out there. Um, yeah, that's I'd, be, I'd be shocked if pretty much anyone that bets hasn't set, opened an account with someone purely for the reason, based on a bonus bet or a free bet or an inducement to at least begin or, or think it's coming. And that's probably yeah. one thing on the responsible gambling side especially that could be addressed a little bit better. Uh, no great solutions necessarily in my head, but... I would say that you know a lot of people in you know certainly listening to this or within the industry have set up a betting account purely because of that reason, and I don't know that that's necessarily a great thing. Oh look, we we do it because I have to fight fire with fire. Uh, right, exactly. We, we but we we are very clear with people um, that will ring us and say or email us and say we you know we're going to set up an account. And I say we'll set up an account first. Um, you know, we're yeah. not offering you inducement, inducement to, to open up an account. You set up an account and you'll find I'm a competitive bookmaker. Um, I would like to get back to the old-fashioned, you know, service and price type setup. Um, I think 
where where myself and um, my sort of peers that are still on the um, at the track, both Sydney and Melbourne and, and other states as well, I think where our advantage is going to be when we do get back to the track is that our system, um, our, so our track prices will be directly reflected on our website. So um, I think when we, you know, at the moment when we're in an auditorium, or I've got a home office, um, you know, we'll bet the VOP or the ABA or, or you know, tab price or whatever, and we, 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 we tweak it a little bit. We move some out, we bring some in, we tweak it a little bit ourselves, obviously, and we set our own markets in a lot of instances. But, you know, I think that when we're on track, when we get back on track, you know, when we're betting 480 because we've got other bookmakers there on track that are betting 480 that don't have an online presence, um, and we're matching them, and everyone else is $4 or 420 that's going to be reflected in our online business. And I think that's really going to be an advantage to our, you know, to our clients. Um, I mean, you know, no bookmaker can give, you know, bet boost, bonus bets, account top-ups, and a better price. Uh, that, that business model is, you know, Armageddon. That's, you know, doomed to failure. So, um, you know, I'd like to, 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 you know, think that that's really going to be be our advantage um, moving forward, um, and, you know. And, and where does it where does it head? I mean, you know, we, we're not doing sports betting at the moment. I know the margins aren't great. And again, I think Jake that that sports betting, whilst it's a it's some people the model works for it, but you know, if someone wants to have a bet on a handball game in Sweden with me, then there's one of two things. Um, I don't want the business because they're they're obviously have a problem um, if they're betting on a handball in Sweden <laughs> or. Yeah. Um, they're a lot cleverer than I am if they're right. going to have a bet on a handball game in Sweden. Yeah. So, by the way, I don't want their business. So I don't see my business going down that route. Um, we'd like to to specialise in racing and do it well. Um, you know, will we offer NRL AFL probably next year if there's an appetite? But it'll be as a as an add-on um, to service my existing clients. It's getting back to that service um, thing that we're we're I'm, I'm very heavily driven by. So. Um, other than that, you know, we'll do thoroughbreds and we'll probably we'll, we'll do some some trots and dogs. I'm awaiting approval for those. But um, my attitude is, you know, we want to do racing. VIP betting services want to do racing and do it well and um, look after our clients and grow our business organically um, and try to offer somebody for everybody. Be it, I mean, I, I rang a guy that you know he was a five dollar punter and there was a there was an incorrect uh, result it got put in, which is human error, and we corrected it straight away. But I rang him and, and to be honest with you, he nearly fell off his chair that I rang him. He said, I can't believe you rang me. It's a $5 bet. I said, mate, why should you be different than someone's had 5000 on something? It's, you know, it's a service that we offer. And uh, I mean, a guy rang the other day and uh, wanted to process a withdrawal and I answered the phone. He said, oh, is this Mark? I said, yeah. I said, I said, mate, you're answering your own phone. I said, well, someone's going to answer it. Might as well be me. Um, again, I'm not trying to sort of, you know, put myself as something different to, to my peers. I know Dave Dwyer does the same thing. I know Justin Thompson at Tombet does the same thing. I know Grant Lynch at Lynchbet does the same thing. And a couple of the, the guys in Melbourne. Um, so hopefully, you know, people will appreciate that, you know, we're involved and hands-on. We're all Australian-owned. So, um, you know, we pay tax here. We do everything we've got to do. And, and you know, um, hopefully we, we get people's support. Tough business. Tough business. There's a lot going on in... Uh... In the bookmaking world, other than just showing up with a with a bag, some cash, some prices, and hopefully the horses run around a track. It's funny, Jake. One of the 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 first general just before I was on the board of directors of co-op, but the first um, actual co-op meeting, general co-op meeting I went to, there was a bookmaker. I just can't remember his name. He was, 
he was mid-80s, and he stood up and he said, you know, guys, it's, it's not like the old days. And his exact words were, it's not like the old days where we used to open the bag and money used to pour in. And I, <laughs> I, I laughed for about a week after it. And I thought, Gee, and I, I love sitting with some of the older bookmakers and hearing their stories. And their, you know, people back in those days, mate, used to bet in houses. I mean, you know, they, every race they bet in houses. Um, yeah. You know, and, and it's an incredible story. And you know, I don't know if that's a particularly good thing, but um, you know, a lot of people did very well out of it. But it is a, it is a changing market. And and please understand, Jake, I'm not sitting here saying there's no place for the corporates and no place for the tab. I mean, because there is. I mean, I, I bet back with the tab a lot because they. They're a valuable mechanism um, for bookmakers that want to lay off if we want to lay off. Um, you know, I want to have a good relationship with them. So uh, there's no reason why, you know, whilst we're in a competitive market, um, there can't be some sort of spirit of cooperation. And I think problem gambling is is a bit of a bugbear in mind that I think needs to be addressed. Um, and and I think you know, moving forward, we all have to we all have to to look at that. Um, with an open mind and, 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 you know, is there an argument, Jake, for if someone excludes with VIP betting, for, for example, they exclude with everybody, um, you know, national exclusion register. Is there an argument for that? I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll probably get death threats after, you know, people hear this from <laughs> various other bookies, but, um, you know, I just think it's something that, that we have to, we have to look at. Yeah, absolutely. So one final question to wrap up here with you, Mark, what does success look like for you in three, five, seven years? Obviously going through a pretty big transition to, to have a, the retail and online business working together and, and obviously all the, the challenges that the industry faces just generally as well as you know you and your peers collectively. What what do you essentially put down as the markers in, in those timeframes? Um, look, I'd like to see um, my online business uh, grow to a business that um, – you know, can um, facilitate most, if not all, clients' needs. Um, I'd like to – I've got great loyal staff. I'd like to be able to help them maintain their employment, and, you know, I'm sure I can do that. Um, You know, I think that I'd love to see some of the ideas that we've come up with with the ATC. And I say the ATC because that's, you know, my tracks of choice because that's where I work. But – I mean, generally all over Australia, I'd like to see a spirit of cooperation between on-course bookmakers and um, and the relevant uh, racetracks to to preserve us. Um, and I don't mean we need a handout. I don't mean we need, um, you know, anything particular. But I, I mean, I think we just need be, to be given a fair run, to be given an opportunity um, to compete with the Leviathan, uh, you know, corporates and to, to have a situation where, um, you know, we definitely have a place on track, and um, in in what form that is is yet to be determined. But I I'd like to think that that we couldn't. I think that if we went to, for instance, the VIP room model, I think every track in Australia or major track would adopt it. Um, and I, I just would like to see, um, you know, everybody work and well work and play well together, mate. Um, and more importantly, everybody stay happy and healthy. That's the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, thank you very much for your time. It's been a lot of fun chatting, a lot of different things we didn't cover. We'll have to save that for another day. You're a man of many talents, obviously, but it's been great to chat about the the betting world, the bookmaking business, and thanks again for your time. It's much appreciated. Mate, I really appreciate you having me on, and and any time. I think the program we do is fantastic, and it really uh, gets a different view out to a lot of people. So I've listened to quite a few of them, and they're they're really entertaining. I hope this uh, doesn't disappoint. 